You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. This week, we get into the topic of movie. We talk about Brett's obsession with his friend's pool and basketball skill, as well as Saul's obsession with David's fame and popularity. If you didn't get a chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend you go back and give it a listen first so you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. All right, back on the chopping block with Andy Atkinson. In the new studio. In the new studio. We're so official, Brett. We've done, what, four episodes, three episodes? This is our fourth episode, episode. Yeah. And we're so official, we have a new podcasting room. Essentially, we've made it big. And we do need a shout-out to Elan Terrell for setting this up for us. Such a beautiful little room here. Well, it's good to be back. I was gone last week. Enjoyed listening to Zach and your conversation um, on friendship. And this week, we kind of got into uh, maybe, in some ways, the opposite of that, uh, as we, we talked about. First Samuel 18 again, and, and, and really this idea of envy. But before we kind of jump into the text, just a, just a fun question for you, Pastor Andy. Is there a childhood memory where you can remember being really envious of something another friend or, or maybe not friend had that you just really wanted? Well, I think I actually mentioned this guy last week, uh, my best friend when I was in elementary school was it ended up being Ryan Kislich, this guy named Ryan Kislich. Okay, uh, but my first my first interaction with Ryan was seeing him on the playground. I think he was playing wall ball. Y'all remember that? Yep, that game. Great game. I think he had like one hand behind his back. I was like, "Who is this guy who thinks he's so good? He can play with one hand behind his back." Uh, and he had on a pair of Jordan 6s, the infrared 6s. Man, I was super envious of those shoes. Like, really wanted a pair of Jordans. We couldn't afford them. Uh, so, yeah, my first engagement with Ryan was to be envious of, of his of his Jays. Uh, but we soon became fast friends. Ryan also got a Super Nintendo before me. Yeah. And I was definitely envious of that. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, as as this is a funny question, it's interesting just thinking about even your story there because I'm thinking back on mine and I immediately think of my childhood best friend. But it's interesting how, like, close friendship can can easily tempt towards envy. My, my childhood best friend was Trent Lloyd, still, still is one of my best friends to the day. And uh, Trent was good at everything. Trent was the head basketball coach's son, the shooter, when we would have basketball camps in the summer, would win every you know little individual award. I never won an individual award. <laughs> uh, had a pool, so everybody was over his house. So Trent and and Trent is as good a guy as you'll meet. So it was nothing about Trent; it was in my own soul. But I was envious often of his ability, of his pool. Later on, of his Tahoe when we started driving, Ooh. and he had one of those Tahoe Tahoes with really big rims. When we were in high school, so he looked really cool, even though we weren't cool. But yeah, it's just interesting how friendship can 
the enemy can come in and really tempt really quickly there with oh, yeah. uh, taking envy. Uh, wow. Trent's pool and Ryan's Jays. <laughs> cool. We are, we are cool guys. Uh, <laughs> so envy and the life of David, the life of Saul. You, know, you made an interesting comment. You kind of kicked off your sermon with uh, rehearsing what's traditionally known as the seven deadly sins. You, you, you read off six, and then you said, what's the seventh, right? And envy. And you kind of made this comment that often we don't see envy in the same category as things like lust or anger or pride. Why do you think that is? Why do you think maybe we don't see envy as big of a deal sometimes? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I mean, maybe some people do. Maybe yeah. Maybe it's just me, but I think, you know, one of the interesting things to think about is, like, we even see, like, envy being used in marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll see boutiques with the word envy used for this for the store name. Or um, we, we just sort of live in this culture of, like, you deserve it. You yeah. should have it. I think it's I think it's it's sort of the the world we live in mm-hmm. that like this idea of of having what others have that that you deserve that like um and and you should feel envy. Yeah. It's almost like this it's almost virtuous in our culture to have a sense of like man I deserve that. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas we know some of the other deadly sins, like that's not that's not good. Yeah. Like gluttony's not a good thing. Like just consuming, you know, to no end is. Now we still do it, but we we more intuitively know like that's that leads to a bad place. Yeah. And I think we know intuitively that envy leads to a bad place as well. But I think particularly in our in our culture. Mm-hmm there's a sense in which it's almost celebrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that as you're, you're talking. Uh, It's almost like it's, it's one of the cultural values of our society. Not necessarily, maybe we wouldn't say envy, right? But, but, but to be successful, to get the things that you desire to get more um, is there's something in that consumeristic just mindset that becomes a cultural value that becomes like, Hey, you're actually praised. Right. Uh, for some of these desires. Yep. Right. So yeah. Kind of a aggressive ambition and, uh, huh. Uh, yeah, that gets tied in there somewhere versus like a contentment that would say, I have enough and I'm, I'm fine. That doesn't really play well in a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. Like a capitalistic society sort of feeds envy. Um, and really, I mean, this is, you know, you can always kind of parse out like what sin's happening here in this moment of sinful actions, right? Like, but we can go all the way back to Cain and Abel and what's happening in Cain's heart as he, his sacrifice is not accepted by God and Abel's is, uh, I mean, there's, there's jealousy, there's envy yeah, that really, as you said, even on Sunday turns violent Yep, eventually. So I guess maybe a follow-up question would be all of us probably on a daily basis have a jealous thought at some point. Man, that's nice. Uh, I, I really like that. You know, uh, man, I, 
kind of wish our house. That happens to you every day. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> you might need to. You might. I might need to reevaluate my career choice. But yeah, so no, it happens maybe most often in ministry. Yeah. Like, so so is there can we be honest for a second it's not to steal it not to steal uh steal the thunder here and and cut you off yeah i mean christian conferences can be one of the worst places <laughs> of envy in the whole world they yeah. are like the insecurity sometimes at a christian conference where dudes in ministry feel the need to just prop themselves up and talk about you know it's like this humble brag where we take the Lord's name in vain by slapping a Holy Spirit sticker on it. But really it's just dudes who are insecure trying to prove themselves to other guys in ministry. And all that does is just foster an environment of envy. Yeah. Uh, It's, I'm not, I'm not dissing on Christian conferences, (laughs) but I've just been in some of those environments where it's just like, sure. This is awful. Yeah. Comparison competing. It's all there. So I, I guess, Maybe the question is, what what's the difference between jealousy and envy? Is there a moment like when do we like, you know, pass the line, and you know, jealousy? We might consider jealousy a negative thought either way, but when do we pass the line from really this this initial jealous thought to envy? Mm. This question actually came up with our city group uh, on Sunday night as we were, you know, digging deeper into the sermon, and I don't know that I have a a great answer for, for parsing between the two. But I think I would maybe say this, like jealousy is when, um, you know, you feel, you feel a desire, mm-hmm. um, for something that someone else has. I think for me, and I think what we see in the story with Saul, uh, and David is, with envy, that jealousy then leads to like a resentment yeah. to where now Saul not only wants what David has, his, his popularity, his, his, you know, fame among the people, mm-hmm. his success. Um, but he begins to say, I deserve it more than David. And I resent David for having it. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just not positive in the sense of like this is a good feeling to have, but positive in the sense of like it's it's a feeling he feels like I want that. Mm-hmm. But then it turns negative in the sense of like I want that and now I despise you. Mm-hmm. I think envy's you know, when you cross that line of like resentment. Mm-hmm. So it's covetousness, you know coupled with resentment yeah and that actually leads to a really dark place yeah. for Saul yeah moving from just I want their stuff to I want not only do I want their stuff but I want their demise yeah I want their downfall yeah you begin to uh, fantasize about their failure and if they do fail you rejoice in that yeah and, and if you're listening right now if if I can just maybe have a pastoral moment to say, you might go, oh, that's not me. Demise is a strong word. I never want someone's demise or destruction. But but we can do this in really subtle ways too, right? Like I want the job and I just want them, I want someone to see that they're not all that. And and, and I want to be spoken to them by their supervisor. You know, I want them to feel um, like, uh, you know, 
that someone sees that they, that they don't have it all together. Right. And I want someone to uh, to show them that that maybe I'm the one that should be getting the praise that they're getting, and they should be getting yeah. the the correction that I get at work. Yeah, it can be subtle, right? But it's just th- thoughts of. Deep down, you're glad that they right. uh, had a, a bad second quarter. Sure, yeah. That they didn't hit their marks. Mm-hmm. That uh, that they got the reprimand, or that their kids act crazy at the park. And right, yours have a good day. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it can be subtle like that, but those can be envious thoughts. Uh huh. Um, where you rejoice in others' failures. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into the story for just a moment. Um, Saul, man, it's really got a roller coaster life here. Starts out as high as you can get, king of Israel, praised, most impressive guy there, a head taller than everyone else, and eventually is rejected by God because of you know his rejection really of God's word and God's command. But now in chapter eighteen, we see for the second time that. Uh, there is an evil spirit sent from God uh, that came powerfully on Saul in, in chapter 18. After, after he has this jealous moment, he becomes furious because the women of Israel are singing this song about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. He's angry. He's resentful. And then verse 9 says, So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. And the very next verse is, the next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. So we did a little bit of theological work on evil spirit the last time, but you, but you made an interesting comment. You, you essentially said that evil spirit is really an amplification of what's already inside Saul. Mm-hmm. And you made this comment. You said um, the worst thing God can do is hand us over to ourselves. Can, can you explain that a little more, flesh that out? For, I mean, some some might hear that and go, man, I, I, I'm kind of offended by that even idea that the worst thing God could do to me is give me over myself. Mm. I don't seem all that bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning there on um, on Tim Keller, who, who brought this point out, and I thought it was profound. You know, we read this language of God sending an evil spirit, and we're like, what do, we, what do I do with this? You know, this is... A head scratcher, but I thought it was a really interesting thought. Um, I find it compelling that, you know, in the Hebrew, this word doesn't necessarily mean evil. Like it, it, it has a range of meanings, and um, we we kind of struggle for an English equivalent. But like in the context, it's like this: it's it's a spirit of terror. Mm-hmm. Saul already feared David, and what. What this what this spirit what this spirit does to Saul is it amplifies that that emotion, mm-hmm. it brings it out of him even further because a few verses later, it goes from Saul feared David to he dreaded him, mm-hmm. he dreaded David, um, and that's what this spirit's doing is sort of pressing out of of Saul what's what's in there, yeah. um, you know, in Romans chapter one talks about. Um, this idea that when we reject the idea of God, when we reject his, his lordship in our lives, that what God can and sometimes will do is hand us over 
to ourselves. He'll hand us over to our rejection of him. I mean, God made clear to Saul that he was no longer his choice for a king. Mm -hmm. In humility, what Saul could have done Mm -hmm. is to say, you know what? I receive that and I submit. And the Lord would have met him there. Yeah. But Saul persisted in insisting that he was king mm-hmm. and trying to live live that out. And what we see in the story is just that leads to a place of unrest and emotional unhealth. And it, there's all kinds of consequences on the people of Israel. Saul's not focused on on leading the people in worship of God and in centering on the law of God. He's, he's deploying troops to pursue David, yeah. you know, instead of organizing the nation to fight against their real enemies and to be protected from real enemies. I mean, he's so distracted because he's in this place right. of, of rebellion. And so what God, what God does is he hands Saul over to his own vices. And, and that's a, I mean, Keller makes this point as well that like that's the most just thing God can do. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very just thing for God to say, I'm just gonna give you what you think you want. Yeah. Um, and it's this reality that sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Um, that if left to ourselves, we actually are. Yeah. Um, and so we see that in the story. God gives Saul really over to his most dominant emotion, which is dark envy yeah. um, and this desperate insecurity um, because he's so jealous of David. Um, and, yeah. uh, and ultimately, you know, it's his demise. Right. Yeah, what, I mean, talk about a word of warning from Scripture for us. Uh, you know, I think sometimes... We, we read these Old Testament stories and, and they feel really maybe distant from our actual lives, but, but, but we need to see the warning for us in this story. I mean, what starts is just a jealous thought. Yes. You may, may, maybe a singular jealous thought for Saul grows into a root of bitterness and envy and poisons his life yep. and um, becomes all consuming. So, you know, you you make the turn in your sermon to say, so what's the opposite of envy? And uh, which was interesting, you know, I don't know if my first thought would have been empathy. I think it's a, you know it was really helpful for me and and helped me think through that. But why is empathy the opposite of envy? And what what why does even living into that through I think you you brought up humility and, and compassion allow us to com bat envy in our lives well i think envy in particular is is a sin of complete Mm self-centeredness you know it's it's when we're so fixated on what we want and what we deserve that we're it's 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 completely selfish Mm -hmm. I mean, as are all sins, but envy in particular. And empathy is is really the opposite of that. 
it's to live into the emotions of another. And so what empathy does is it it immediately decenters that's good us um and 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 begins to try to live into the feelings of someone else um and so it's impossible to be envious if we're mourning with someone else who's mourning if we're rejoicing with someone else who's rejoicing um, which is why I think humility is is a key aspect of that. Um, you know, humility is not thinking of yourself. Yeah. It's losing sight of yourself. Jonathan's kind of the antitype for envy in uh, in the story. Is he he obviously could have heard of David's anointing and and gone? Wait a second, this is my my throne. This is my role. Yep. But somehow. Through the Spirit of God, I assume, he is able to not see David as a threat, but see him as God's anointed and and actually rejoice in that. Yeah, his language later when he comes to David, just to reassure him, and he says, you know, Saul, you know my father Saul will not kill you. You're going to be the king, and I'm going to be your right-hand man. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. It's yeah. amazing that the heir apparent to the throne is going, nope, you're God's choice, and I'm going to be by your side. Mm-hmm. Um, and he rejoices in that. The more, I, the more I study like the life of David, the more I'm like, Jonathan <laughs> yeah. is remarkable. Like He's amazing in the story of David. Um, I mean, his life is really compelling. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's a beautiful picture of, of the humility Mm-hmm. And even the empathy, like that, that empathy piece of rejoicing over God's choice of David when there could have been jealousy there. Yeah, I am, uh, I am, uh, I want to emulate that. I, I don't always do it well. I'm, I'm more like Saul than I want <laughs> to be often. Uh, you kind of ended with this thought. Was it Second Corinthians 5? Yeah. Where's that at? Second Corinthians five verse fourteen. Yeah. So you you ended with this uh, by quoting Second Corinthians five for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion if one died for all then all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised for the love of Christ compels us or some translations I think say controls us is that right Yep. Um. And you ultimately can conclude with this thought that 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 the way to not be controlled by the self-centered envy, ruinous envy, is to be controlled by the love of Christ, mm. right? And for I don't know, for both the non-believer who's listening and the believer who's li- listening, what does it look like to live into that? The love of Christ compelling us and controlling us. What does it look like to let that be the dominant kind of theme of our life. Maybe that'd be a great place to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, for here. for the you know, for the unbeliever, like I would just say like it's impossible. Right. It's impossible to not live according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Ephesians two, that you're dead in your trespasses and sins, in which 
you walk according to the spirit that's at work in the world, which is a spirit of selfishness. Yeah. It's a spirit of, of self-centeredness. And so um, what has to happen in you is that the love of Christ has to bring about transformation. Mm. You know, that like Jesus selflessly loved me mm. by dying for the son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. Um, and the Holy spirit has to detonate that in your heart. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's how believers have to live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's not a, a one time thing where we go, man, I believe in the, in the love of Christ. Right. But that's a daily like renewing of the mind that like, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul seems to be saying that like to be controlled by the love of Christ, I have to come back to that so that I no longer live for myself, but for him who died and was raised on my behalf, you know, Galatians two twenty says, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes on and it says, but the life I li- I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Yeah. And so it's this daily offering of ourselves in response to the love of Christ. That's so good. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I feel like it kind of wraps a bow on this conversation on envy. I love what you said earlier. You said uh, it's, it's, it's decentering ourselves, really. Mm. And almost that's like the central work of sanctification to decenter, decenter ourselves and center Christ in our lives, yeah. right? Uh, and that is a daily moment by moment thing. Yep. You know, I think of John the Baptist's words: uh, "He must increase, and I must decrease." That is the daily work of of trying to grow, even in this specific topic, less envious and more empathetic. Yep. Um, it's the anti motto yeah. of our day. Yeah, I mean, we, we you know. We're inundated with the message, you must increase. Mm-hmm. And the message of the gospel Amen. is, he must increase. Yeah, I must decrease. Well, it's really good. I've heard uh, from multiple people how helpful the sermon was this week. I think t- the topic of envy is near and dear to our hearts, whether we like it or not. So, Preaching to myself, brother. <laughs> any concluding thoughts there, Pastor Andy? No, I think we just, you know, this is one of those messages where it's like, it's really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this is a crisis of understanding. <laughs> uh, this is really a crisis of dependency. Right. We need the spirit. So let's live independency moment yeah. by moment. And God help us to see when we are giving into envy in our lives. Yes. Thanks. See you guys next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kind of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out to you and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.